Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. All right, are you ready for the message? I got to give you a heads up. This is going to be my uh, Michael Jordan flu game. Uh, my left side, my back went out this morning. And so if you're wondering why my hands are in my pocket a lot, uh, this is all just tightened up. I don't even know what happened. So when I do this, that hurts a lot. So we're going to go right hand. Um, but I think God's bigger than a, a back uh, problem. Yes. So I'm ready to preach. If you see me grimace, it's not the Holy Spirit. It's just my back seizing up a little bit. Okay. 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 Um, Hey, before I start, I just got to share this with you. I've just been debating if I should share it or not, and I just feel like it's for the house. Um, it's just a simple thought that I want you to process this week, but also today in this message. Uh, Rachel and I have been married uh, a little over 10 years now, and uh, when you're married somebody 10 years, you hear a lot of stories, and not all of them are home runs. Can you, let's be honest. We tell our spouses some boring stories. Yes? Can we agree with that? No? Oh, I guess you're the only entertaining people in the world. You never tell your spouse a boring story? Well, Rachel was telling me a really boring story uh, yesterday at lunch. Um, two, back to back. She doubled down on it. First one was about this face mask that she bought that has different lights that do different things to your skin. Like the red light does something to your skin. The blue light gets rid of sunspots. And because she said, if you wake up in the middle of the night and I have a mask on me that I look like Bane from Dark Knight, Batman, it's actually like a face thing. And I, so I heard about what all the lights do to a face. It was an amazing story. Um, and as she was telling me that story, I kind of started to like, you know, like, you know, when somebody you're talking to them, but they're like looking past you, they're like over it, or they start looking at the phone. Well, then she goes on to tell me how when she runs on the treadmill and sings, it strengthens her vocal cords. Also an exciting story. Um, <laughs> and so as I was uh, listening to these stories, Rachel gets on, she goes, oh, am I boring you? She's like, they all can't be home runs. This is my life. This is what I'm going through right now. <laughs> you know, and, um, yeah. Uh, but she was a little upset because I wasn't being very present with her, okay? Let's be honest. And one of the number one, like, job spouse, just be present with your spouse. They're excited about it. You should be excited about it. And so then we got home, and um, it was later on in the day. We, we finished our day. It's about, I don't know, 7.45. We're like, let's watch TV together. Let's watch a show. And I stumbled upon this show on Netflix and uh, watched about 20 minutes. I was like, oh, I got to watch this with my girl. This show is so good. It's an older show. It's called Blacklist. Anybody heard of Blacklist? <laughs> it's weird. It's weird there's so many Blacklist fans. Okay. Um, it's on Netflix, and I watch it. I'm like, oh, this is really good. This is really good. And so the, the, the power had shifted now. Rachel was trying to get my attention in the morning, and she couldn't get it, but now I wanted her attention for what I wanted her to enjoy. And I was watching the show with her, and there's these scenes in the show, in the first 15, 20 minutes, it's just really exciting. It's fast-paced. And um, uh, like a cool scene would go like, be on the TV, and I'd look at her to see if she's looking at it. She'd be on her phone. I'm like, babe, how long are you going to be on your phone? Like, like you got to see what I'm seeing, you know? And uh, then, you know, I'd look over. She'd be on her phone again. But the last 15, the, the movie grabbed her. Uh, the show grabbed her. And she loves Blacklist now. So we're going to start watching Blacklist. We're one episode in. Um, that's all I wanted to tell you. No, I'm kidding. Um, good story, Tyler. Uh, but I just got this picture um, of the Lord with us. And I just want to share it with you. And just please, please digest it a little bit with me is we can, the enemy of our life a lot of the time is distraction. Uh, Jensen Franklin preached this great message called The Weapons of Mass Distractions. And the reality is, is that I believe Jesus is always trying to show us his goodness and his glory. And we're so busy and sometimes so disinterested that we're missing out on some of the greatest things we've never seen. Uh, 
And so I sometimes think God's trying to show us something as I, even I'm preaching or a scripture and we're distracted. He's like, did you see it? And he looks at us and we're looking at our phone instead. We're living our life and Jesus wants to show us his beauty, but we're looking at our phone instead or we're looking at ourselves instead. And over and over again, he's just waiting for us to catch what he knows is great. And if we saw what he knew is great, it would change our life. And so if I could just encourage you today, uh, don't be distracted for the next 35 minutes. Uh, If I could encourage you for the rest of the week, give God a shot and start looking at him more than the other things in the world and just see the goodness that he's trying to show you. We're just so distracted as a people. Okay, you ready for my message? That wasn't even my message. I just feel like we're, we're, I I feel like God wants, I feel as your shepherd, God wants to show you his goodness and glory in this next season and distraction will not steal from it. Not on my watch. I got a bad back right now, so I'm going to be angry. Listen. All right. All right, we're finishing a series, A Church That Changed the World. It's the book of Acts. We've been asking this question. This is the fourth week. I'm going to be honest. This might be my favorite series I've ever preached at Mission Church, ever, in our four years. So if you missed one and you weren't here, go back, watch it on YouTube. I think God was um, literally speaking to us through a scripture on the type of church that he would want us to be, the type of people he'd want us to be, the type of lives he'd want us to live, the type of marriages he'd want us to have, so the world could see something different. We've been asking this question. How in the world did 120 ragtag people go into this powerful nation that was the, ruled the whole world, Rome, and they were not economically powerful? They were not military, had no military power. They had no cultural power. They had none of the power that the world had. So how in the world did they walk into this world that was the most powerful, the most rich, the most cultural influence? Like, how did they turn it upside down? And it turned kind of into a revival series, to be honest. This, everything just started turning revival. It started just named the blueprint for revival, the rhythm of revival. And revival is a fascinating word, but revival really is, if I could just go back to the promise of what we're trying to revive, it's in John 10.10. 10. Jesus says this, I have come to give life and life abundantly. Everybody say abundantly. abundantly. Your marriage needs to be revived to abundance. Yeah. Like you shouldn't just have a marriage, you should have an abundant marriage. Yeah. There are two Greek words for life. There is bio, which just means how long you live. And then there is zoe, which means the quality of your life. It means that you're going to live a quantity of time. That's, your, that's, that, that's the word life. But when Jesus says, I'm going to give you an abundant life, he said, I'm going to give you a zoe. I'm going to give you a life that is revived because I revive things that are dead. Now, it's interesting. You're like, I was never dead. Let me just submit to you real quick. A plant is alive, correct? Sure. Now, I'm alive, yes? Is the plant less aware of things than I am? Does the plant not enjoy things the way I do? And I believe this. Before Jesus, our life is kind of like a plant. We don't enjoy things the way we could. We don't see life the way we can, and we don't receive the ways we can. That's why when he says he brings us from death to life. We were walking around, kind of aware of his goodness, kind of aware of things. And he says, now I want to come and revive things in your life. So this isn't just a church revival series. It's a revival series for your own life and your heart and your dreams and your marriage and everything else. So what did we learn in this series so far? We learned the importance of the Holy Spirit. If you want that John 10, 10 promise that Jesus came because the opposite of the enemy's mission, he said he came to steal, kill, and destroy all the things dear to you and near to you. And so we learn that the Holy Spirit is this gift. By Acts chapter 10 or or 11, uh, the Holy Spirit is referenced 40 times in the book of Acts. Because the reality is, is the church knows they didn't change the world because they were the smartest. You're not going to change their marriage because you're the smartest. They didn't change the world because they were the most talented or charismatic or had a good idea. 
You're not going to change your life because you had a good idea or you're the most talented. They knew they were changing the world because of the power of the Holy Spirit. One of the most famous verses in the Bible, it says this, not by power, not by might, but by your Thank you. That was pretty impressive. All right, here we go. Got some theologians. You read throughout Acts, they were led by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. Maybe just maybe your marriage needs to be led by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit this next season. Maybe just maybe your dreams, your life. You know, if you're, if you're looking for this next great thing, if you're single, maybe just maybe allow the Holy Spirit to take care of it instead of yourself. We need the breath of God. That was a week two we talked about that. We learned that God wants to show up in our life. We learned that God actually wants to show up and show out and show off, okay? We see in Acts 2, flames of fire. We say Acts 4, when he shows up, he visit, uh, the visitation, theophany, we see he shakes the earth. You need to know something. Um, before the understanding of God and Christianity, there's two main ideas of religion, and they still are around today. One is the Eastern idea of religion, and that is God is a force. He's just a force. You can, you, you're aware of him, and he's, he's, he's everywhere, and, and you know, like, this would be more like the uh, Buddhist and Confucianism and the Eastern thing. Like, I'm aware of God. There's karma, so, so there's a force. So that's an understanding of what some people are saying God is. And then if you went Western religion, that's not us. We weren't the West first. That was Europe. It would be like the Greek and the Romans, uh, the Norse gods and the Greek gods. And they were not um, a, a, a force. They were personal gods. Zeus was a personal god. Uh, Thor, which actually was a real god back in the day. It wasn't a Marvel movie. He was a real god. Uh, not a real one, but he was a little case god that the, uh, you're like, oh, real god? Wow. Uh, I'm glad I didn't take pain pills because that could have been worse. Okay. Um, <laughs> Thor was a lowercase god back then that you actually believed in, uh, uh, the Norse, uh, Norse god. So you had this personal god, but they weren't infinite and they were not omniscient and they weren't like, they, they didn't last. Like they, they were fallible and they'd mess up. And then Christianity came along and Jesus is fully man, but he's fully God. So he's fully omniscient. He's this full force, but he's fully personal. And the reality is, I think sometimes a lot of Christians, when they picture Christianity, they picture God just as this omniscient God who's everywhere, but they forget the promise that he's a personal God and that he actually wants to visit your life, that he actually wants to visit your home, that he actually wants to come in and bring his presence and his joy and his peace, that the person of Jesus actually wants to, literally says in Revelation 3, he stands at the door and knocks and waits for you to allow him to come in. I think a lot of Christians in America don't really understand the personal part of God. They understand the omniscient God, but no, he's a personal God. He wants to actually be a part of your life. And so uh, the, the early Christians, they understood, God, we want your presence. Because the reality is you and I, we're hanging out right now, yes? Now, if we went to coffee, would it be different? That's what the Bible shows, is that you can pray to God, but there are layers to intimacy, that there are, there are facets to God, uh, who God is, so there's going to be facets of how he shows up in your life. Omniscient God, sovereign God, but also personal God. So maybe, just maybe, you should invite God to be at the table of your life and see what happens to your life. We learned that in this series. Um, I'm just reviewing things. I haven't gotten the message. Uh, we touched on the importance of sharing the gospel. Um, Acts 8.4, but the believers who were uh, scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Everybody say wherever. wherever. Woo. Uh, it says this, those who have been scattered preached the word of God everywhere. Now, uh, this is Acts 8. We see this. Now, it's interesting. The reason why people, actually, I just want to read it to you. I, I, I have a thought, but I actually wrote it down because I feel like it's, the vast majority of people who don't believe in Christianity have a radically inaccurate idea of what Christianity is. The vast majority of people who say, I've had it with Christianity, or I'm not interested, or I'm just indifferent to Christianity, don't know what they're indifferent to. It's a very dangerous place to live. Yeah. I'll tell people, they're like, well, I don't like Christianity because of A, B, and C. I'm like, nor do I. They're like, what? I thought you were Christian. I am. Whatever you just described is not Christian. Right. Um, let me put it this way. A, a, a lot of what's happening in the Bay Area, too, is people say this. 
Um, I'm gonna use an illustration real quick, and then I'll go back to that. Stop. So, um, you could come up to me and say, I pictured Tyler, me, I picture you, Tyler, as a French baker who makes the best French baguette bread in all the world. And I would look at you and I'd say, first of all, that sounds amazing. I love bread, and I wish I could because French baguette's one of my favorite foods in the world. So that's the first thing I'd say. Second thing I'd say is, it's a free world, free speech. You can say that. You think of that about me. You can say that's what you picture me to be is what I do for a living. That's a good one. But the third thing I'd say is, it's just not true. I'm not a French baker. I'm not French, and I don't make great French baguettes. I can barely cook. I literally was heating up a potato yesterday in the microwave, and I burnt it, okay? So I'm not a French chef, all right? And that's just me. You can say it, but like, oh, it's all good. Like, if somebody wants to think that and say that, whatever. But what happens a lot is people go, I picture Jesus as this guy who is nice and just wants my life to be good. Well, you can say that, but it's a free world, but you're just not really nailing who Jesus is. And so well, the reason why the church was transforming the world is they weren't preaching this warm and fuzzy Jesus. They weren't uh, preaching this mean Jesus. They were preaching a resurrected Jesus. And they were preaching a Jesus that said, hey, he had this life, death, and resurrection. They, the, the good news, the gospel, is talking about what he did when he was alive, uh, why he died, and then what his death conquered. They were always talking about that. And a lot of Christians don't even know what that is. If we, on the way out, did a survey, what is the gospel? To every person walking out, you'd be like, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, uh, phone a friend? Can I do a phone a friend? Uh, A.B.? The reality is every Christian should be able to say what the gospel is in two seconds. It is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel is. It's the good news of what it is. And then you can go, there's layers, of course, that, and what that means for my life and your life. Jesus' life is this promise to mankind. His death is this promise to mankind, and his resurrection is the great promise to mankind. And so they, they, they preach the gospel everywhere. And we're going to touch a lot on that today. And so uh, I just want you to understand, this is my last in this series of um, uh, a church that changed the world. And you just, you got to prepare a church. You got to get ready. I really believe, I mean, even like each service, we're, we're growing every week. We're running out of chairs. Um, we had to turn kids away in kids ministry a few weeks ago. We, and and we, we've never had to turn kids away. It's because we didn't have enough workers. We had 21 babies in the nursery, you know? And I'm like, holy cow, you know? Um, I just, yeah, yeah I, that is like, God bless our kids workers. Like, that'd be so intimidating. But we didn't have enough kids workers for the 22nd baby. And it just agreed my heart. So just say it with me, get ready, get ready, get ready. When we pray for, we're praying for revival. We're preparing for revival. We can't make it, but we can pray and prepare for it. You need to know something. When revival happens, it happens. It's over. I mean, when uh, Charles Finney, one of the great fathers of revival in the late 1800s, he went up to Rochester, New York, and people were saying, oh, you don't need to go to Rochester. Don't go to Rochester. Ah, nothing's in Rochester. And so he goes to Rochester anyways, because he feels like the Lord tells him to go to Rochester. He starts preaching the gospel. And within six months in Rochester, New York, 100,000 people get saved in six months, and crime rate goes down to zero. Like, like again, like, you better get ready, because when it happens, 100,000 people could get saved in six months. And then uh, the Welsh revival, 100,000 people got saved in 10 months. So you look at these things, and you're saying, well, what are we going to do to the church if 100,000 people got saved in the Bay Area? I had a pastor uh, say in a book I read a long time ago when I was a young pastor. He said, um, God is going to bring waves to the church, waves of revival, waves of salvation, waves of family. And if you don't know how to steward those waves, they're going to go right through the church, and they're going to slip through your fingers because you didn't steward them very well. Just like a surfer who knows when the wave is coming, you can't paddle once the wave is there. You've got to be paddling before it even came. 
And we as a church, we got to be paddling before it even happens. And to be honest, it already is happening to an extent. This doesn't happen in the Bay Area. Church doesn't grow like this in the Bay Area. So you guys want to paddle together? All right. The title of my message is A Church That Revives. A Church That Revives. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Oh, we give you everything. Lord, I pray right now that we dive into your word. God, I pray right now that as we read Acts 20, God, that you would speak to us. God, I pray that you would awaken things in us. Lord, I come against just, just being bored and apathetic to the things of God. Lord, you say, taste and see that you are good. Lord, I pray that people taste and see for the first time your goodness, that they would encounter you. Oh, God, we want to encounter your presence, God. God, we need you. We need you. May my words fall to the floor and your words soar. And everybody said, Acts 20, it's the only chapter in the book of Acts that is addressed to Christians. The rest is always addressed to crowds that are wondering what is going on. Um, I could have picked so many different chapters in the book of Acts. I could have picked Acts 6, where it's the first time where the church honeymoon is over. People are complaining at church for the first time. Shocking, it didn't take them uh, like 100 years. It took them just a couple chapters to complain. They're like, the food's not being distributed well enough at church. That's what happened, okay? They didn't have a resource problem. They had a distribution problem in Acts 6. And so some people were like, mm, excuse me, um, there is favoritism in the church. So, so they had some fight in Acts 6. I was, I was going to say the honeymoon is over. I was going to do one on that, but I decided not to. Because um, the reality is, is you messed up, I messed up, and we all hanging out together. There's going to be some messed up things that happen. We need some grace in the house. Amen? And then I was going to talk about, um, you know, in Acts 9, where um, uh, uh, Philip leads uh, the Ethiopian to Jesus, which uh, Joe already preached, so I didn't need to do that, uh, with the gospel in a puddle. Shout out to Joe Little. Um, come on now. Then I was going to talk about Acts 11, maybe. Acts 11 is where uh, the um, people that are following the Lord, the followers of the way, they get called Christians for the first time in Acts 11. And the reason they get called Christians is because every other religion, the Greeks had a religion, the Romans had a religion, so you just called a person the race because that was connected to religion. But in the Christians, there were Romans, there were Greeks, there were Samaritans. It's like, well, they're all different races. We need a name for all these new people. We've never seen a religion be all races and rich and poor. So what do we do with these people? Uh, they're like Christ. Let's call them Christians. So then they got called Christians. And so Acts 11 was Christians. And then Acts 16 is one of my favorite ver- uh, chapters in all the Bible. It's when the church gets planted in Europe. It's the church of Philippi. It's a beautiful chapter. Acts 18 is one of my favorite uh, uh, chapters also. It's the church gets planted in Corinth. Corinth was the San Francisco of its time. It was the money-making place. It was the, the place that just basically was movers and shakers, and people moved there to make money and change the world. And so Acts 18 is an amazing verse. Acts 19 is the church of Ephesus. Uh, where literally a whole city, and that would, it would be like the, the spiritual um, city in all the cities of Athens. All the gods were there. A lot of idols were there. That thing gets turned upside down. Sin becomes unprofitable in Acts 19, the church of Ephesus. You want to know why? It says that they, they, they did nothing to tear down the idols or speak against the way people lived. All they did was lift up the name of Jesus, and the whole city was turned upside down. Man, there's so much in Acts I could have shared. But I went to Acts 20. Because the reality is, is that Paul says, hey, I'm glad there's revival, but there needs to be a church that will steward this revival. There needs to be Christians that will steward it and foster in their homes and foster in their lives. So in Acts 20, he says to the leaders of the church and the Christians in in this church, here's what he says. Are you ready for the word? I'm excited. Okay. When they arrived, he declared, you know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. And all the people who have been serving in church said many tears. Amen. (laughs) 
I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear. Man, have some people in your life that are not afraid to tell you what you need to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I've had one message for the Jews and the Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and having faith in our Lord Jesus. Woo, right there, that's the gospel message. And now I'm bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. He's saying, I'm led, I can't help it. The Spirit is leading me there. I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by Lord Jesus. Oh, our life, if you don't have purpose in your life, you, you feel it. Oh, you feel it. And so we find, well, I love Caroline's um, uh, ministry time. We find nightlight purpose is what I'll say now. We find nightlight purpose, but real purpose. The purpose that will light you up more than anything else in this world is to build the kingdom of God. I, I, watch what happens to your family. What happens to all, all your other purposes? Watch what happens to your soul. The greatest purpose of your life is to build people and to share the goodness of God. And he's saying, I have nothing unless I do this. The work of telling the others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And now I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. I declare today I've been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. Hey, you go to hell, ain't my fault. I love what he says. He's like, hey, just for the record, ain't my fault. I told you about Jesus, and I'm out. Okay, so uh, for I didn't shrink back. I just love that he said it. For I didn't shrink back from declaring all that God wants to you to know. So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock. Everybody say feed. feed. Everybody say shepherd. God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some of them from you among will, will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out. Remember the three years I was with you, my constant watch and care over you night and day and my many tears for you. Everybody say care. You're seeing this, sharing the gospel and caring for people, sharing the gospel and caring for people. And now I entrust you to God, the, the message of his grace that is able to build you up and to give you inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. I've never converted anyone's silver or gold. Uh, I've never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who are with me. And I've been a constant example of how uh, you can uh, help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. If I could summarize Acts 20, he's saying this. I need you to be a church that shares and a church that cares. I know it sounds a little cheesy, but that's what he's saying. I need you to share the gospel, and I need you to care for the people you share it with. Now, I'm just going to talk about two things today. Two things that's in will be done in the next about, I got 18 minutes. I'm going to be done in 18 minutes today for you, okay? I'm going to talk to you about the importance of sharing the gospel. Not only with people in the world, but with yourself. Charles Spurgeon said this. Charles Spurgeon said, the most important daily habit we can possess is to remind ourselves of the gospel. Our own selves. The, Psalm 103 says, may we not forget the benefits of salvation. Yeah. Some of you have forgot the benefits of the gospel. Yeah. Now, um, I, I'm going to break down the gospel a little bit. First thing I want to just do is, what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news of what Jesus Christ has done in Christ Jesus. It is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the free grace of God that I'm a new creation in Jesus Christ. If I could just uh, say this way, one revival that was in Wales was summed up with one sermon statement they'd always, always say, Christ's past is the only past that matters. It was just saying to God, like, the only past that matters is Christ's past. And they were saying, the life, death, that's the only thing that matters. Not your past, not what people have done to you. The only thing that matters that will change your life is what Christ has done in the past. And so, 
uh, I, I don't know about you, but um, we hear this promise, uh, you know, or this declaration, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, but the Bible actually describes this Christian about, I don't know, five to 10 times in the whole New Testament, but it describes you as in Christ 400 plus times. So in Christ is the, the gospel, what it is, is it's the good news that you are now in Christ and not in the world, that you are now walking in your promise and not in your cursing anymore. And so when you walk in Christ, can I just read you a couple of verses of what happens when you walk in Christ? These are all in Christ verses in the Bible, ready? In Christ, I'm faithful. When you start to walk in Christ, you become a faithful person. In Christ, I'm God's child. In Christ, I'm justified. In Christ, I'm a citizen of heaven. In Christ, uh, I'm a born of God, and the evil one cannot touch me. Uh, that's, um, I could read these verses, it's going to be a long time. First uh, John 5, 18. In Christ, I'm chosen for the creation of the world, Ephesians 1, 4. In Christ, I'm holy and blameless, Ephesians 1, 5. Uh, in Christ, I'm given God's glorious grace, lavishly without restriction, Ephesians 1, 8. Uh, in Christ, I'm forgiven, uh, Colossians 1, 14. In Christ, I'm mature, uh, uh, a mature spiritually. In Christ, I'm a light to others and uh, can exhibit goodness. In Christ, I can understand that, uh, what God's will is, Ephesians 5, 17. In Christ, I've got power. In Christ, I'm dead of sin. In Christ, I'm not alone. In Christ, I'm growing. In Christ, I'm his disciple. In Christ, I'm prayed uh, for by Jesus Christ. In Christ, I'm united with other believers. In Christ, I, uh, I am not in want. Oh, there's a back page. Let's keep going. Okay. Um, um, in Christ, I possess the mind of Christ. In Christ, I'm blameless. 1 Corinthians 1.8. In Christ, I'm the light of the world. In Christ, I'm healed from sin. In Christ, I'm not helpless. In Christ, I'm overcoming. I'm persevering. I am protected. I am born again. I'm a new creation. I'm delivered. I'm uh, redeemed. I'm qualified. Oh, and I'm victorious. Anyways, that's just a few of those. Just a few. Maybe, just maybe you should read your Bible. You feel a lot better about yourself. You'll be like, oh, I'm victorious. I am the light. Let's go. I mean, just maybe, just maybe read your Bible a little bit, and you'll see what the good news says, what it does for your life. Yeah. Just an idea, but that's not what I'm here to preach today, okay? This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners, and I'm the worst of them all. Woo! 1 Corinthians 15, 55. I love what he says. He goes, I love it that, that, that Paul would declare what the gospel did. For, the, uh, for sin and its sting uh, results in death, and the law gives the sin's power. Wow, I can't read today. Uh, verse 57. But thank God he gives victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the power of the gospel. I want to talk about the power of the gospel because you need to preach it to yourself. And there is, do you ever see the, the, the Christians in the book of Acts say, I call upon power now, and now I'm powerful. They never call on power. They never call on power. They know where the power is. It's in the gospel. They're never, I need more power. They know it's in the gospel. And so literally Romans 1.16 says, for I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also Gentile. I want to read you one more. A lot of, a lot of, I'm sorry, I got a lot of scripture today. The same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your life from the day you first heard it and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. The gospel is changing lives. I told you in Acts 19 that uh, they literally turned this city Ephesus upside down. Ephesus was a mega city. It would be like a New York City, a San Francisco, a Chicago. It would have been that kind of city. Ephesus would have been like walking in there, and the gospel's preached. And everybody, like, there's this moment in Acts 19 where uh, people who have sinned, they come up to a fire, and like the people who are into sorcery, they, they burn their books. And then people who are into, you know, pornography and lust, they would bring like, this is my sin, and I am saying goodbye to it today. And it's like this happened all throughout the city. Everybody's confessing what they used to be bound by, what their idol used to be. They used to own them. And then they're saying yes to Jesus. So much so that the people that were selling all the sin get so mad in Acts 19. The people that sell sin got really upset that they created a riot to kill the Christians that were telling people about Jesus. And so in Acts 19, they're like, great as Artemis, they're killing our city. Great as Artemis, kill Paul. And the person who's running the city said, hey, 
The only, buddy, only people are going to get in trouble is the Roman law is writings against the rules. You're going to die, actually. Isn't it weird that when you have idols, you love to just fight people? And so the, the people who loved idols wanted to fight and create commotion and destroy them. And he says, they did nothing wrong. All they did was preach the name of Jesus. He even says in Acts 19, I'll read to you, 1937, you have brought these men here, but they have stolen nothing from the temple and have spoken, not spoken against our goddess. They haven't done anything except tell me about Jesus. Wow. You got to leave them alone. They turned the world upside down. I want to talk about the gospel power with idols. Now, when you went to Athens, and Paul went to Athens, their idols were very overt. You see them everywhere. There's Artemis. There's the power um, idol. There's the lust idol. I mean, they had just all the idols just out and about. You know, like, like I mean, it was like, you know, you, you know bumper stickers? The bumper stickers just had whatever idol they liked the best, Okay. Like, this is what they did. So Paul walks in and goes, man, this is the most idols I've ever seen in a city. And, and that's what Ephesus was known for, the most idols of anywhere else. So he's, he looks at it and he goes, what do I do? How do I change this city with all the idols? I'm going to go one by one and talk about each idol. Power idol sucks. Lust out. No, he didn't do that. He said, I'm going to do one thing. I'm going to talk about Jesus. And as I talk about Jesus, all the other idols are going to crumble under the name of Jesus because there's no other name. Now, Though they were very overt uh, in uh, Ephesus. The Bay Area, we were very covert. We were very, 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 very sneaky about our idols. Our idols, we don't, we, don't, we don't know what our, it's a lot of us don't even know what our idols are. A lot of us don't even know how to define an idol. And if I can just tell you, an idol is not like liking sinful things. An idol is simply this, taking something good and making it the ultimate thing of your life. Uh, yeah. It's making good things ultimate things in your life. So, I, I need the gospel preached to me daily. Before I went on my sabbatical in July, we always take July off to rest and refresh and pray and prep for the following year. And the last three months before we went on sabbatical, I was white knuckling myself to July because I was so stressed every Sunday. I was finding the measure of my worth and the quality of my work. I was... Every Sunday, I would leave church either really happy because I preached a good message or unbelievably depressed that I didn't do what God wanted me to do and I felt like I failed. And it just became a roller coaster every week. And I didn't have an idol of preaching on my Kardashian every day that I thought of. I was a covert idol. I made a good thing of sharing the good news and I made an ultimate thing for my life where I'd find my worth. I'd find that I was pleasing God in. And the reality is, is that all of us have something where we say, it's maybe the idol family. If my parents are proud of me, then I am worthy. And basically what it is, it's worldly salvation. You're trying to save yourself and deem yourself worthy. If my kids become great kids, then I'm worthy. If I raise great kids, then I'm a worthy person. And basically you're taking raising kids, which is a good thing and making it an ultimate thing. And so what happened to me after my three months of just absolute, just, just the worst. To be honest, the last four weeks of preaching, I didn't care if you liked it. It's been great. It's been, it's been so good. Hence why I preached like an hour and five minutes the first Sunday I got back. I was like, I was like Lord, it's all about you. It's for you. The Lord likes long sermons. You need to know that, okay? Why do I go long? It's because the Lord likes it, okay? No, it's not about you. And I'd like to tell you that I came back in the first two weeks 
I just was free as a bird. I was just oh, feeling good. But by week three, I made it an idol again. Like two weeks of freedom was great. By week three, I was just pressing. I was like, I've preached two good messages. I need to preach a third one. And I was pressing, and I was stressing, and I wasn't sleeping. And then I came across the Charles Spurgeon message about just the gospel. And he's like, you have to preach it yourself, to yourself daily. He said that even when he was, before he was saved, he said, I, 50 things I try to do to save myself. And all I realized was all I needed to do the whole time was look at Jesus. And he goes, but after I got saved, 50 other things I try to do to stay saved or stay worthy. But all I have to do is keep looking at Jesus. Some of you, you need to know something real quick. The idols in your life, this is the definition of an idol. So it's an ultimate thing. It's a good thing to make an ultimate thing. But what happens with an idol compared to what God is? So when you have an idol, idols have power. Like they, like they, 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 they control your thoughts. They, they control your emotions. Like idols do have power. Not godly power, but they have, we give them power. We give them authority. For, and that's why it's, it says not to worship anything else because idols do lead to death. But idols drain you, basically. If you, you study the rhythm of what an idol does, an idol will drain you. But at the same time, you feel like it will be fulfilling you. And that's why it's powerful. And what I mean by that is, like, let's say career is your idol. You made a good thing, an ultimate thing. And as you're climbing the ladder of career, and you're sacrificing everything for this idol for career, you are literally starting to be fulfilled in all of your identity that you're trying to, like, I'm good, I'm worthy, I'm amazing, I'm getting titles. So you're getting fulfilled in an area, but while you're getting fulfilled in one little pocket of your life, you are being drained everywhere else. Your family is being drained. How's your family life while you're doing, uh, having a career be your idol? Your marriage is being drained while you're making career your idol. Your, your own health is being drained while you make career an idol. So as you worship this idol that is career, and it is tricking you and deceiving you because enemies, um, the enemy's goal is to, uh, to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's not going to steal, kill, and destroy overtly. He's going to do it covertly and say, hey, worship this. It's going to be good. Sin is fun for a season. And you worship the wrong idol, and you look, and you see yourself fulfilled by your career, but then you look back, and everything else that you hold dear has been drained to death. Death. You name it, this is what happens. Your kids, oh, kids are such a great thing, but the reality is in our area, I have to preach about it, they become good things, they become ultimate things. The, if, you're, if you're a married couple in the house, the greatest gift you can give your kid is a great marriage. And what happens is you give your kid all the bandwidth instead of your, each other, and then you say, wow, our kids are becoming great, but we're drained, I'm drained, my joy is drained, and you've got to find a way. How do you how do you make these good things stay good things and not ultimate things? You want the answer? Oh, I have it, and it's a good one. It's, it's super good. It's like one of those, like, it's going to change your life good. Okay, are you ready? So the Stoics didn't know how to deal with idols, so they decided to detach from things. Well, okay, Tyler told me careers are idols. I'm just going to detach from my career and not care anymore. Problem solved. This heart does not connect to anything anymore. That's what the Stoics would tell you. Okay, preaching. It's a good thing, but I've made an ultimate. I'm not going to care about preaching anymore. So see what I preach next week. <laughs> da, 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 you know, you guys want to hear a joke? <laughs> like, do I just not care about preaching anymore? No. Love preaching. Love your kids. Love your career. Love those things. Well, but if I do that, I'm going to make it up. No, no, no. Here's your answer. You ready? Here's how you keep good things, good things, instead of ultimate things. You step over here. And you say, I'm going to love preaching, but I'm going to love God more. The simple answer of how you make sure you don't create idols is you just got to fall in love with God more. That's the medicine for your soul is fall in love with God more and see how much better your marriage is. 
There was this Pulitzer Prize winning book by some guy named like Ernest Becker. And he writes about like, you know, as a post-secular you know, post age, basically, you know, religion's no more and there's spirituality. And, but people have this desire to have something fulfill them. And so basically he talks about, we're going to find something to worship. So this guy's even Christian. It's a Pulitzer Prize book. So just so you know, you're going to worship something. All of you are worshipers, like by default. Like if you're not worshiping God, you're worshiping something. And so he talks about like um, what happened was they became the beauty and self-deception age. And what it meant was is that people in the 70s decided, they started using this term a lot. I'm looking for the one. I'm looking for a person to be the one that satisfies my soul. I'm looking for a person in a marriage that would be the greatest thing could happen to me because I still need myself to feel validated. And so they, made, they started worshiping marriage in the 70s. There was always the thought that marriage was good, but to be honest, before that, it was really functional. You're marrying somebody for, you know, a financial thing or because uh, this is actually going to make families get together. Marriage is not always like the idea of what we see in a Netflix movie today. And so my, my hope is that you'd understand this. If you've made a person an idol, a spouse an idol, the reality is the Bible shows us and it shows very clear what happens is that you are going to destroy that person and destroy yourself because no spouse can satisfy your soul the way God can. No person can redeem your soul the way God can. So maybe, just maybe, you could read the Bible a bit more and allow the gospel to be repeated to you daily and just see what happens to idols in your life and see what happens in your own life and how it gets revived. Amen? Yeah. Let's keep going. Three minutes and 29 seconds. Here's what I've been uh, saying in my prayer time and how I preach the gospel daily to myself right now. These are four things that I pray every morning right now. God, you're the only one that satisfies that's the good news, Lord. You're the only one that gives abundance. Preaching a great message doesn't satisfy my soul. Getting uh, somebody to tell me a good job after I preach doesn't satisfy my soul. And you, God, you're the one that satisfies my soul. Another thing I, I, I pray about the gospel is, God, you're the only one that qualifies me. Yeah. As a preacher, I, I feel this pressure. If I sin at all or do anything wrong, my message is going to suck, and there will be no like unction on my message. So I'm always worried about my past week on how good I did instead of how good God was. And so I just got to keep telling them, God, you're the one that qualifies me. God, you're the one that qualifies me. Oh, I'm so broken. I'm so, you got to use broken people. Thank you, Jesus. I pray that over my life. Um, and then also just do this. God, you revive me and idols drain me. God, would you revive my soul today? Uh, we're leaky people. We just leak. And so you just got to have God keep on pouring. And those are just some things I've been praying over my life. So I would encourage you, as I just close this point about the power of the gospel, is that you would start praying some gospel things over your life and start seeing what happens to your soul. Sound good? All right. So how do I share the gospel? I feel like, you know, uh, as a church, um, I told you about the power of the gospel, but I feel like a lot of Christians don't know how to share the gospel. Now, I told you the early church changed the world. And the reality is, is they changed the world because they shared the gospel everywhere they went. It even says in Acts 8, there was great joy in the city because they shared the gospel. Now, I got to let you know something real quick. I've heard this too many times at church, and I'm going to take the one little card out of your pocket that you can't use with me today. Tyler, I just don't have the calling or the gifting to evangelize. God, God does, has other people do that. There's other people. I, I know that that's not my gift. It's other people's gift in the church. So I'm going to let them just do their thing, and then I'm going to do my thing. I've been pastoring for 20 years. I can count on a hand how many people are gifted in evangelism. <laughs> like five people my whole life. They're just like, I'm an evangelist, Tyler. And they were good at it. They were anointed to do it. It's five, not 500. And in this room right now, 
If I, we don't have to do the poll, I'm not trying to be ruthless, but if I ask people, how many people evangelized Jesus week, raise your hand, probably less than five hands would go up. And the reality is, is because we have lost the responsibility of what Acts 20 shows us about the gospel. Paul's saying, I did it, I did it. The Bay Area is not going to hell on my, uh, not because of me, because I shared the gospel. The Bay Area is not being revived, not because of me, because I did, I shared the good news of God. Can you say that about yourself? Can you say that the people around you are not going to hell because you shared the gospel? In high school, I could not tell you that. Oh, high school, I did not want to inconvenience people. Oh, I sat next to this guy. His name was Darren Folk. Shout out, Darren, if you ever watch. I love you, bro. He's one of the most fun people in high school. He was a huge partier. I wasn't a partier, but I love sitting next to Darren in class. He was hilarious. Oh, he was hilarious. He always had the funniest stories from his parties. Um, and we'd sit and we'd goof off in class. We both got a terrible grade in English because all we did was laugh the whole time. And I was going to church at that time. I was, gosh, I think I was a senior in high school, junior, senior high school. And I didn't share the gospel ever, like, one-on-one. I just didn't want to do it. I didn't think it was my calling. It wasn't my gifting. And I graduated, and I heard this picture one time. Uh, and it just pierced me, and it's never left me. And I shared it week two of our church. And I think it's time for me to share it again. And... I sat next to people my whole high school years. I sat next to a girl who didn't know her worth, and uh, we'll call her uh, Clarice. It's not a real name, but I don't want to use a real name. And she was this girl who was just really insecure, had daddy wounds, and she's adorable. Like, I like I had a mini crush on her, but like I didn't want to date her or anything, but I just thought she was really, really sweet. But she was one of those girls in high school that you could tell if any guy showed her attention that uh, they were going to be able to get with her physically and broken people, uh, just like broken guys, are gonna be broken with broken girls, and they're gonna do broken things together, and that's gonna be a habitual rhythm throughout high school. I sat next to her for a full year, and one class, and I sat next to her in sign language, uh, I, I took American Sign Language in high school, shout out sign language, and um, my senior year of high school, uh, she gets AIDS, and you know, it was the talk of high school, and I remember just being devastated. I was like, man, I sat next to her for a year. Her sophomore year of high school. Two years before this happened, of course. This other guy who was a star quarterback at the other high school, loved him, good guy. We'd, we'd hang out a lot, played hoops together. And, uh, you know, gosh, we had so many times that we hung out and goofed off. But he had a huge drinking problem just even in high school. And this was around him, never told him about Jesus. His freshman year in college, he goes to play uh, um, football. Uh, he gets drunk and hits a mom and kills her and gets a DUI. And these are all people that have been in my life that I was around. Um, and I remember just being devastated over how I lived my life in high school. Um, and then I heard this story. This young gal was speaking at church. She's like 18 years old, and they just had her share a testimony. And she came up, and she shared a testimony. She's like, I found the Lord, and it's changed my life. And she goes, for the rest of my life, I'm going to tell people about Jesus. And she goes, I felt like one of my friends told me, and I was so thankful. And she goes, I want to share a picture with you that would, that would maybe, maybe inspire you to share the gospel. Because one day you will be in front of Jesus, and you'll be going to heaven. And she goes, just picture yourself on an escalator. And so I pictured myself on an escalator. And it's an intense picture, but just bear with me. And she goes, as you're going up the escalator, picture all the people you didn't tell about Jesus on another escalator going down to hell. And I was like, this is a terrible sermon. Who gave the microphone to this 18-year-old girl? I don't like this sermon, you know? 
And as you go up to heaven, these people on the other escalator going down are going to say to you, why didn't you tell me? You sat next to me for a year and you had the secret of the gospel, the power of the gospel that changes lives. And you didn't have five minutes to maybe give me an opportunity that it could change my life. And I started seeing Clarice's face going down the escalator. Why didn't you tell me sophomore year? Why didn't you just give me an opportunity to know that my life could have value? That I never heard that my dad loved me, but there was a God that did love me, that would redeem me, that I had worth, that I was a princess and not a girl to be used by men. Why didn't you tell me? And I had no answer to give. I was too inconvenienced. I was too scared. I didn't have the courage to tell you I'm sorry. The, the, the people that have broken marriages going down, why didn't you tell me that I could have this abundant life? I'm sorry, I was busy. I, I, you know, I was, I was on my phone that day. I, just, I didn't think about telling you for five minutes. I'm sorry, I thought it'd make you feel funny. I didn't want to make you feel awkward. I'm sorry. And the reality is, is there's not one good excuse on why I didn't share the gospel in high school. And there's no good excuse still today why we hold the goodness of God to the world because we don't want to make them feel inconvenienced or we don't feel like we're equipped enough. If we're going to be a church that changes the world, you better get good about bragging about God. And I I feel like this got really sad. (laughs) I'm trying to pull it up because I don't like sad things. I don't watch sad movies. I'm sorry. Oh, man, I didn't even get through half my message today. I just want to, it's all good. I'm trying to depend on what verse out of the, all these ones that I picked. I wanna, can I have the worship team come up? We're going to finish. Second Timothy 2 says this, preach the word of God. Be, be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Favorable or not, be ready. Yeah. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. Ephesians 5, make the most of every opportunity. I could just, verse after verse, the, the, the Bible is just asking us to share the good news with people. Make the most of it. Favorable or not, just go for it. I love what happened in Acts 11. Acts 11 is this very simple verse, but Barnabas is sharing the good news. It says, when the church of Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived there, he saw evidence of God's blessing. He was filled with joy, and he encouraged the believers to say true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of Holy Spirit and strong in faith, and many people were brought to the Lord because of him. It's interesting, the word encouraged. Uh, it's, uh, we're, it's, it's, a, it's a weird word in Greek, and you'll find it a hundred times in the New Testament at least. It's uh, parakaleo, parakaleo, para is the first word, para. And we, that's where we find paralegal, uh, paramedic. And Barnabas is one of the greatest evangelists in the book of Acts. He leads a lot of people to the Lord. There's no like signs and wonders. It's just that he was encouraging and kind and joyful. And it says, many came to know the Lord in Acts 11. There was a revival because somebody was an encouraging evangelist. And that word parakaleo, you see throughout scripture, there's, it's used so many different ways. And when a Greek word in the New Testament is used in like 10 different ways, you got to understand something. It's so rich and it's so powerful because the word parakaleo doesn't just mean to encourage. It, the, uh, an old, old English word we're going to use more, it means to beseech. It means to come alongside and beseech somebody. 
Another way, like the, 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 what Barnabas was doing as he was sharing the gospel, how he shared it, is he would be pleading with somebody. But, but the way that really Barnabas shared the gospel is he shared it like a paramedic. You know, and that's kind of what Paralel Kaleo was trying to show you. He shared it like this guy who saw people who were broken. And so he came in with tenderness and then just grabbed their broken arm and said, get to church. Ow! My, are you going to deal with my broken arm first? He would come and he would know how to be soft and caring and loving. But he, as he loved them, he was this Paracaleo kind of evangelist where he would plead with them. Oh, give God a shot. Oh, you just knew how good God was. Oh, you'd be present with him. Oh, can I pray with you? God changed my life. He could change your life. Oh, I'd love for you to come to church one day with me. My grandma was my paracaleo. She drove me nuts sometimes, but she loved me so much. When I was acting a fool in junior high and even my early high school years, my grandma would be like, I'm praying for you, Tyler. Praying for your wife and praying for your ministry. Oh, come to church with me this Sunday. And once in a while, I just tell my grandma, I'll go to church on Sunday. So I just go to church with my grandma on Sunday, just me and my grandma. And then she's like, I'd love for you to come with me next week. And my whole life, my grandma was this woman who was always driving me to church and praying for me and fighting for me and contending for me. And eventually one day, something happened in my soul and I was changed forever. And some of you, you just gotta become that to a couple people. I'm not asking you to go save a thousand people tomorrow. Write down three people that you know and love that don't know the Lord and start loving them where they're at, but start beseeching them. Oh, you should come to church with me. Oh, can I tell you one time, if you ever have a free time for God, I'd love to tell you what Jesus has done in my life. I'd love to tell you what was broken and what he's restored and what still is broken and what I'm believing will be restored. Man, let's be that kind of church that shares the gospel. Would you bow your heads with me? I don't know if it's your first time or second time or third time in church, but if you never said yes to Jesus, never said yes to heaven, no to hell, yes to blessing, no to cursing, if you want to say yes to salvation today, with every head bowed and eye closed, you want to say yes to salvation, I want you to raise your hand and just catch my eye on the count of three. The Bible shows very clear that if you want to be saved, you literally, this good news message that you want to say yes to an abundant life, you want to say goodbye to just carnage, you want to say yes to the Holy Spirit reviving the things you can't revive. You want to say yes to salvation. On the count of three, with every head bowed and eye closed, you want to say yes to Jesus. Raise it up and raise it high. One, two, three. Raise your hand up and say, I want to say yes to Jesus. I see you. That's a great decision. I see you. That's a great decision. Come on. Raise it high if you want to get saved today. Oh, that come on now with boldness. God bless you. Oh, I see you. Will you stand up? We're going to pray. Are you ready to change the world, Mr. Church? I really love people. It's, it's amazing. You know, I, I didn't get to my caring point, but he asked the, world, uh, the church to care and share because the reality is, is that we're very selfish and we care only about ourselves. But not Mission Church. You're a special church. We're going to care about others. We're going to share the gospel. Some people got saved in this service, so we're going to pray with them. You ready to pray? Repeat after me. Jesus, come into my life. Today, I declare I'm a sinner. And you are my Savior. Jesus, you are my Lord. I confess. I say hello to my promises and goodbye to my past. I say hello to blessing and goodbye to cursing. And everybody said? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. 
you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.